please, big warm welcome for Gareth Higgins. Mr. Martin swooped onto the stage, and I do mean swooped, for he was wearing a long, flowing black robe, a la Harry Potter or Eaton. And it was indeed a stage, the unimaginatively named School Hall, being only ostensibly the site of our daily assembly, and in actuality the pretext for a great deal of daily theater for teachers who really wanted to be actors. <laughs> to have theater in the school hall stage, we didn't need to be putting on a production of The Merry Wives of Windsor, Calamity Jane, or my greatest dramatic triumph, the fundamentalist Christian Ferovius in George Bernard Shaw's Androcles and the Lion. Ferovius, frightened by his own aggression, prays to God that he will not resist the gladiators to whom he is about to be thrown, but discovers that nature takes a while to be overcome by nurture, or at least that, once enacted, violence is a hard habit to break. He enters the arena stoically, but tears apart those self-same gladiators. Every night of that production, I was 17, I would go backstage, the audience of course, utterly wrapped in the belief that I was really going to the Coliseum, to be greeted by volunteer prop masters who would squirt me head to foot with tomato ketchup, the better to imitate the blood of the would-be martyr's mistake. After three nightly performances, you could smell me before you could see me. <laughs> it is hard to get tomato ketchup out of a fake sheepskin vest. <laughs> anyway, like I said, it wasn't just the traditional theatrical exploits of teenage Northern Irish school kids that ended up on that stage. In our system, there is, or at least was then, a legal requirement for a daily act of worship. And although worship can be interpreted widely, it was our habit to plod morosely into the school hall at 10 past 10 every morning for a reading from the Bible, or if it was our agnostic headmaster speaking, one of Aesop's fables, <laughs> a prayer and some announcements. The repressed orators among the senior teachers who got to lead assembly were raring to go each day. Mr. Martin, the most rarin. <laughs> and today he moved into rare form. After the reading, after the announcements, after the prayer, the instruction, and his voice of such exquisite high pitch that it could sum even dogs who were hard of hearing. <laughs> All boys in third and fourth form must remain behind at the end of assembly. What's this, we thought. They didn't keep you behind assembly for no good reason. They didn't keep you behind after assembly for good reasons at all. Trouble was a Bruin. The girls filtered out. We boys stayed in Nuremberg rally formation, 
A sea of a couple of hundred black blazers, black trousers, white shirts. If I told you the colors of the tie, you would know which school it was. Black <laughs> shoes in various, the best one, black shoes in various conditions of shiny. Never in all my years teaching here did I think I would have to admonish pupils for this, began Mr. Martin. Behavior has been occurring in the frost building boys' toilets that is disgusting and reprehensible. What could it possibly be? Thought the 130 adolescent boys in the room. <laughs> what is worse? It's not just that the behavior going on in the frost building boys' toilets is disgusting and reprehensible. It's the fact that the evidence of this behavior was discovered by the cleaning ladies. <laughs> Those poor women who we pay a pittance to come in every afternoon to tidy up after you did not expect to be confronted with this. <laughs> and we know that it is boys in this room who are responsible. <laughs> who could it possibly be, thought precisely none of the 130 <laughs> in the room. behavior must stop and it must stop forthwith it was the kind of school in which people said words like forthwith <laughs> an understandable request you might imagine if not perhaps a realistic one if one more boy he paused if one more boy. Now I'm in for it, thought every single one of us. <laughs> as unearned shame formed a heat bubble in the chest, so hot it must have been visible from the moon. <laughs> if one more boy is found to have put a toilet roll in the urinal, there will be consequences. <laughs> A year or two later, I volunteered to run the tuck shop on a Saturday morning for the rugby and hockey players. I probably should have been playing rugby or hockey myself, but I'm an interesting person. And, and Mars bars called louder. <laughs> and it was a miracle that I would even get out of bed at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. And the walk to school did me good. <laughs> I think I waited until at least the third or fourth Saturday before I stole anything. <laughs> 
But the stainless steel bowl we used as a cash float was as alluring as the idol that Indiana Jones steals from the indigenous Jubito people of Peru, <laughs> triggering the large boulder and collapse of their temple. I was too ashamed to look at what I was doing, too lonely to notice myself at the best of times. So I reached into the bowl and took out a coin without looking. The first time it was just one, but as the weeks wore on, <laughs> I'd take a couple of quid out each time. And a Snickers bar or two for good measure. <laughs> I remember my body feeling numb while I was doing it, a form of mild dissociation that enabled me to cross my own boundaries. Of course, what you sow, you reap, whether externally or on the inside. I gave up doing the tuck shop after a few months, and a year or so later, the guilt dam burst. For weeks, I could hardly think of anything else. I would wake up and see only the money. What is worse is that the tuck shop profits were supposed to be given to an overseas aid agency. <laughs> I wasn't stealing from the school, but from charity. After a while, the guilt became so overwhelming that I knew the consequences of confession could not be any worse than the consequences of repression. So I approached the teacher in charge of the tuck shop and asked if I could have a word. He was a few months from retirement, having attended the school as a pupil in the late 1940s and returned there to teach as soon as he could. He was a beloved elder, but not without a stern side. I told him that I had stolen money from the tuck shop, that I was deeply sorry, and that I wanted to make it right. And if BuzzFeed got a hold of this story, the headline would be, what happened next will amaze you. <laughs> this teacher, who at this point was the school's vice principal, a serious man of serious reputation, looked at me in silence. And then he cried. Not weeping, but red around the eyes with some warm tears accompanying the healing words spoken in the same high pitch as when he had admonished us boys for the reprehensible toilet rolls, only quieter. I'm so proud of you. I admire you so much for telling me the truth. That must have been very difficult for you. I forgive you. If you could pay back the money over time, that would be great. I know you don't have a lot of money, so if you can just put a coin in the basket when you have it and let me know when you feel you've paid it all back, that will be fine. Would you like a hug? <laughs> I don't remember if he was wearing his black robe that day, but I'll tell you this. To me, his voice sounded like an angel. <laughs> 